Spirit. Amen. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But as we confess our sins, God, who is faithful and just, forgives our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Let us then confess our sins unto God our Father. Most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful and unclean. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed, by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We justly deserve your presence and eternal punishment. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us, forgive us, renew us, and lead us, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. Almighty God, in his mercy, has given his only Son to die for you and for his sake, forgives you all of your sins. As a called and ordained servant of the word, I therefore forgive you all of your sins. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Church of God, 
the fifth Sunday of Easter is from the book of Acts, the sixth and the seventh chapters. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, 
It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. And we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests came, became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Cilicia and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen. And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did not your fathers persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. second reading from 1st Peter the second chapter like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up to salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good as you come to him a living stone rejected by men but in the sight of God chosen and precious you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, 
and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And so the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
We stand in respect of Christ, of whom the Holy Gospel is read. According to St. John, the 14th chapter. Jesus said, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Well, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to We confess now together our holy Christian faith in the words of the Nicene Creed. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets, 
and I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. second chapter of first Peter these words for in scripture it says see I lay a stone in Zion a chosen and a precious cornerstone and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame please be seated grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ dear friends the birth of a grandson a few months ago the birth of another granddaughter in Illinois just a few days ago, the birth of another grandson just a few weeks from now, it's exhausting for us grandparents, isn't it? <laughs> it's exciting. It certainly keeps us on our toes. It's an exciting time for grandparents as we try to keep up with it all and put new names to tiny new faces. Faces that carry a wee bit of our look in theirs, perhaps, all that new life and all of that 
new potential that's there and we wonder about the tremendous potential that's there and it sets one thinking where do you begin a life with its foundation when these new lives come upon us what is life's foundation where does life's foundation begin how do you build life's foundation do you even build it well you begin where every builder begins you begin with the foundation that's where you begin if you're going to build anything, you begin by building that foundation. You begin with the foundation and its cornerstone. No building is any stronger, someone has wisely said, than its foundation is. And that most certainly is true also of life. But it's certainly true of buildings. You can see the parallel. I've never been to uh, the Tuscany region of Italy, though I'd love to go. And if ever I make it to the Tuscany region of Italy, I'd like to see the leaning tower of Pisa. Completed a little more than a hundred years before Luther was born, this 200-year-old building project, a 12-story structure made of marble, began to precariously lean during the very beginning stages of its construction. They didn't have any more than three stories up, and already the tower was beginning to lean. To lean in good part because it didn't have much of a foundation. That's why, after all, the place is called Pisa, because it means marshy land. And they were building this leaning tower, this bell tower of this great cathedral next to it on this marshy land, and it didn't take more than three stories of it, and the thing started to lean. More significantly, the foundation that they built wasn't deep enough at all for it. It was only apparently 10 feet deep. Despite its lean for about six centuries, it was only Recently, as late as the 1990s, that scientists and structural engineers became quite concerned that it was to the point where its leaning was further than it could possibly go because it was leaning a little bit more each year. Finally, they determined that by last year, by 2007, if something wasn't corrected, that lean would come to its breaking point where the gravity was going to pull it and the weight would be greater than it would be able to hold. And sure enough, the leaning tower of Pisa would no longer be the leaning tower, but it would be the fallen tower of Pisa. And so they set out to correct it, which they've done. But you think of the tower of Pisa and the way it was built and the foundation upon which it was built. And you compare that to those great cathedrals of Europe over there, whose massive underground structures are sometimes, it seems, as large as the weight of the structure above it, whose visible structure and its height of it is the same as it is going into the ground sometimes. What a difference a foundation makes when you're built upon a, a foundation like that. No building, again, is any stronger than the foundation upon which it's built. And that's certainly true of life. That's what Scripture is talking about in our text for this morning. And it causes us to ask ourselves then, upon what is our life built? Upon what is your life built? Well, it's built or it rests upon one of two things. Either the foundation that the world offers you, it's either built upon that, and you know what the world offers you in terms of a foundation, it's promises. Attached to, of course, your achievements in the world, it's promises, your achievements working together. Your career, your increased wealth, perhaps power and prestige and other such things, your life, does it rest upon that? what the world offers you, what you do? Or does it rest upon the foundation of Jesus Christ and his work for you? It's really that simple. It's one or the other. It's either what you do or what he has done for you. 
That's the issue that's before us today. A lot rests on the foundation of your life. Remember the story that our Lord Jesus told about the two builders? I can't imagine that Peter this morning, in writing the text that he did in our epistle lesson, wrote that text without remembering what the Lord Jesus had told the disciples as they were gathered together about the two builders that, build, what, that built the houses that they built. Remember that account that our Lord told, that story? A wise builder, remember, and a foolish one, the implication being that you're going to be one of the two, either the wise builder or the foolish one of which he speaks. And then he talks about that foolish builder. And the interesting Greek word that he uses there, the, the word moro, from which we get the word moron, foolish, moronic. And he says, you know what that moronic builder did, what that foolish builder did? He didn't put any forethought at all into what he was doing when he built his house. He selects a terrible location for his house, low land near a stream of water, and then to top it all, it was on a sandy spot, not a rock hard spot, but a sandy spot that he was going to build his house. But his greatest folly was that he neglected to dig down deep, to get down to that solid rock foundation. You see, over in the hilly regions of Palestine, there's so little wood that they have to build their structures often out of masonry and so the the weight of the masonry necessitates that builders dig down 10 15 20 even more feet in order to construct a really solid foundation upon which their buildings might be built well the foolish builder this moro of which jesus speaks pays no attention to this requirement and as long as there were no storms coming as long as there were no floods Oh, his house stood fine, looked great, just like all of the neighbors. Everything looked well. But then let the forces of nature be unleashed. Then see what happens, Jesus says. And Jesus said, the rain did descend. And the floods came. And the winds blew. Then what happened? Then the unstable sand shifted the flimsy foundation was no match for those forces of nature that came and the house jesus said crumbled and the house fell and great jesus says was the fall of it and all of the time that had been expended in building it and everything that had been done to accomplish it and build up its walls and its frames and to make it look beautiful inside all in a moment's time gone the world encourages us and it trains us, indeed, from our earliest of years to build our lives upon a sandbag foundation like that. You attain this sandbag over here and you put it in a certain place. It might be your, your career, your education, whatever it might be. The sandbag of popularity placed over here. The sandbag of conformity placed over here. Of relative mor morality over here. The sandbag of civic involvement here. Another one of academia. Another one of career advancement, and of course, there's got to be the one of money over here. And if you get all these sandbags in the right positions and places, so the world says, everything will be fine. And some of those sandbags are indeed fine in and of themselves. 
not speaking against those things in our lives, but they are not intended by our Creator to be the foundation of life. And that's the problem when people make these things the foundation of their lives, those things upon which their future is built. That's where the problem is, and you can see it for yourself all around you. How many more blown over homes do you have to see before we, the people in the world recognize what situation really is, what man-made foundations ultimately give us? That they can't stand up against the sin-generated storms that blow against them in this life. Unless the Lord builds the house, Scripture says, he that builds it builds in vain. Isn't it enough that well over 40% of the marriages that were established at the turn of this new century are going to be gone, broken by 2010? Isn't it enough that 67% of those that attempt to do it again are going to fail within the following 10 years? Isn't it enough that 40% of the children being born in the U.S. today are born out of wedlock and we're better off than France where it's 50%? You don't need a litany of depressing statistics to convince you that the man-made foundations that we have in this world simply can't bear up under the weight that our sinful lives press upon them. Those foundations crack and they crumble. They do it under the weight of our sins. And it's all multiplied and magnified when you see it on the grander scale of society, isn't it? Neighborhoods like ours, not far from here, once safe and secure, but a few weeks ago the homes of the neighbors on both sides of us had their screens sliced at the bottoms, apparently to facilitate break-ins. Why not our house? Because not even thieves stay up as late as I do. They skip right over us. Drive-by shootings of completely innocent people during the past couple of weeks, not just a priest in downtown Baghdad, where you'd expect it to happen in a war-torn city and country. There it's understandable to us, but how about the 21-year-old mother that was killed by a stray bullet as she's sleeping in her bed in Oakland? Or how about the drive-by shooting at a home in Nashville, Tennessee, or only a few days ago in one of the nicer rural communities of southern Chicago area, or the one of an unprovoked drive-by shooting of a man holding a child in his arms in Miami but a few weeks ago. And how do you explain three drive-by shootings in, of all places, Elkhart, Indiana? Examples of a sin-sickened society because people are building foundations that don't withstand the weight and the burden of sin. And every death that we mourn, be it a family member or a friend, stands as that unimpeachable witness that you just can't place a sandbag down below the door of your house thinking that even that sorrow isn't going to slip in with the flood of tears that eventually comes from having to mourn over the death of a loved one. Doesn't slip in in our house as well because it will in every one of them. So you see, internationally, nationally, locally, personally, it all comes down and points so clearly to the fact that lives built upon the wrong foundations don't stand a chance against the storms that are generated by sin in our world.
Now, if our man-made foundations wash out so quickly here in our relationships with one another, you can imagine how they stand before the presence of a, of a holy God. They don't stand at all. If you try to build your relationship with him upon the foundation of your own righteousness, it's foolishness, moronic to be sure. When man comes with his imagined righteousness or tries to build his relationship to God on some foundation of civic goodness, or his own social merits, or his own charitable efforts, or his own career achievements, it's sand. It's all sand. And in the end, this good-looking life of self-righteousness crumbles flat, and it's packed upon all the other layers of his own righteousness that never will stand up before God. Scripture clearly says it. And if anything should convince us, it should be these things of which we've spoken. But scripture so clearly says that no other foundation can be laid than that which has been laid in Jesus Christ our Lord. There's no other way. Jesus says, we heard in today's gospel, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's the testimony of the Old Testament as well as the New. What was it that spoken of Christ by the Old Testament prophet that we heard about, Behold, saith the Lord, I am laying in Zion for a foundation, a stone, a precious stone, a cornerstone. Who was he speaking of? But Christ. So also the prophet Zechariah wrote, From them will come the cornerstone, the peg upon which all things hang, the bow that wins the battle, the ruler of all the world. And of whom do you think that he was speaking? The peg upon which all things hang. Doesn't that sound an awful lot like what St. Paul, when he says that, says that in Christ all things hold together, the peg upon which all things hang, the cornerstone, the prophet says, and centuries later, the apostle writes just that, that we're built upon the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, but Christ Jesus himself being that, that cornerstone, that chief cornerstone. Or as the church has sung for well over a thousand years, and we sang but a few moments ago, Christ, thou art the sure foundation, thou the head and cornerstone, chosen of the Lord and precious, binding all the church in one, thou thy Zion's help forever, thou her confidence alone. And Christ indeed is our confidence. Our confidence as we stand before God the Father because by Christ's work on the cross for us, not our work for him, but his work for us upon the cross for us, he's put us right with the Father. And when you've been put right with the Father because of the Father's Son, all things become right for you. And you've got that certain, that sure foundation. That's why St. Peter can say because of the work of his Son, we are a holy nation. We're a people belonging now to God. Behold, I am laying in Zion a cornerstone. Notice he does it. We don't build that foundation. I lay, God says, in Zion a cornerstone. And that's what gives us our confidence that he has built for us in Christ what we could never build for ourselves. Now to be sure, the world doesn't see us for who we are as a holy nation, as God's own people, as Peter says doesn't see us for who we are any more than it saw Stephen for who he was so long ago, as we heard about in the reading this morning about that first martyr of the Christian church, Stephen. But he was who he was, no matter if the world saw it or not. He saw what he saw, didn't he? 
And what was it he saw? Behold, he said, I see the heavens opened, and I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Courageous confession of who Christ is. And Stephen's life, as you well know, was taken because of that confession. But he gave it boldly, knowing what the end result would be. And that's the difference that Christ makes in our lives. That's the confidence that he then gives us. His presence with us through his word and sacrament. Because we see him too. We see him when we come to his holy supper and we leave saying, Behold, mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. We see him through his word and through his sacrament. As we live in a world and the world doesn't see us for who we are, but we see him, Christ, for who he is. And the world is increasingly hostile to the message that we bring it, the gospel of Christ and him crucified, a world which, like those who stopped up their ears and rushed together to cast Stephen out of the city, and then there outside of the city they stoned him, a world that in our day is just as determined in one way or the other to silence our voices as well. But we take heart, because Jesus Christ is present with us. In his word and sacrament, He's present with us, and that gives us, even in our day, that greatest confidence. Reminds me of the way that one contemporary author describes it. He tells of his boyhood days when in the fall of the year, he and all of his little friends would gather together out in the street. And there on the street each afternoon, they'd play a game of football. And there was one dad in the neighborhood who was an old die-hard football buff who would sometimes join them, and this dad always played for whatever team appeared to be losing that day. And you know what? This writer says, quote, his appearance in the huddle changed the whole ball game. He was confident and strong, and he had a plan, and the kids were all fired up whenever he'd come, fired by his leadership and bolded by his plan, but most of all it was his presence. His presence with them that made the difference, and they played that, that game with renewed confidence and determination. Well, friends, doesn't that in a certain way tell us also and remind us also of Christ's presence with us and his word as we hear it in the sacrament that we receive, that he comes to us to join us, to join what the, to the world appears to be a losing team, and then his presence among us changes everything? He changes us, he makes us his own as he does in baptism, he leads us through life and feeds us through life in his holy supper, speaks to us through life in his word, through all of life's ups and downs until well-worn as we may appear at the end of it all, we who are seen by the world to be losers, suddenly by God's grace find ourselves in heaven as winners. Bear that in mind in the days to come so that whenever those days are hard, as they will be, and whenever living through them has made you grow weary, made you grow tired, you'll remember that your life is really built securely on a certain and a sure foundation. In the words of a Christian at life's end who was exhausted by the struggle but unbeaten by the struggle, Often on the rock I tremble, faint of heart and weak of knee, but that steadfast rock foundation never trembles under me. Christ is our security. 
And we can be secure in that. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
church in the world and all of those in need or want or adversity. We pray. For the spiritual house of God, the Holy Christian Church, built upon the inspired word of the prophets and apostles, Christ Jesus being the cornerstone of Zion, that all her members would rest securely and gratefully in word and sacrament, and in life, by word and deed, proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For all who resist the gracious work of the Holy Spirit, including us, where in our lives we do it too, that faith would be worked and hearts would honestly acknowledge our sinfulness, but yet firmly believe that all sin has been atoned for by Christ Jesus crucified. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, we pray, O Lord, for children and young people, especially those of this congregation, that they may long for the pure spiritual milk and by it mature in the faith, so that in time they might tell of God's saving wonders to the next generation. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, Lord have mercy. For the men of our synodical seminaries who stand this week to receive calls into the office of the Holy Ministry or Vicarage placements, including Stephen Mons, also Aaron Bell, the grandson of Aubrey and Phyllis Vickers, Jerry Hayes, son-in-law of Gary Albrand, and Nathan Muehlberg, son-in-law of Chris and Pat Stainer, that the Holy Spirit would bless them with knowledge of the truth, aptitude to articulate it, and courage to profess it in all seasons, so that these men might serve as a blessing to the flocks they will be charged to feed and shepherd. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For the sick and infirm who cry unto you, O Lord, for help, including Fred Hine and Margie Fleming, undergoing several tests. Also neighbor of the congregation, Janet Reed, preparing for surgery. And the homebound members of the congregation, that according to your will, you would bless them with healing or patience to bear in faith their difficulties. And that they would remember your steadfast love and your abiding presence. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. Tender Father, hear our prayer for widows and widowers and those who mourn the recent loss of loved ones, that hearts would not remain troubled, but be calmed by the promises of our living Lord Jesus and the comfort that he's assured your people by the Holy Spirit that comes through your word and your sacrament. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy. For those who celebrate your grace and goodness in their lives, O Lord, including Henry and Barbara Newman, who gratefully celebrate today 45 years of married life together, that they would continue to draw their love for each other from your love for them and grow still together with each joy and sorrow shared. And with Pastor Mark and Shanna Bestel and daughter Grace, we give thanks for the birth of daughter Sophie Michelle and also with Nathan Muehlberg and Mary Muehlberg. We give thanks for the, the gift of daughter Sarah Beth. Lord, as you have given both Sophie and Sarah life and birth here below, preserve them, so that in days to come you would draw them unto yourself and grant them the spiritual birth and everlasting life, delivered through baptism's living waters. Let us pray to the Lord. Lord, have mercy for those drawing from the wells of salvation and the supper of the Lord, that receiving the meal in faith, they may be strengthened by the forgiveness of sins received with the body and blood of Christ therein. Let us pray to the Lord. 
Lord, have mercy. We entrust these intercessions to you, gracious Lord, who reigns forever in Zion, and whose favor is everlasting, through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. God, and most especially are we bound to praise you on this day for the glorious resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, the very Paschal Lamb, who was sacrificed for us and bore the sins of the world. By his dying, he has destroyed death, and by his rising again, he has restored to us everlasting life. Therefore, with Mary Magdalene, Peter, and John, and with all the witnesses of the resurrection, with angels, and archangels, and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify your glorious name, evermore praising you and saying, In joy, we receive the salvation accomplished for us by the all-availing sacrifice of his body and his blood on the cross. Gathered in the name and remembrance of Jesus, we beg you, O Lord, to forgive, renew, and strengthen us with your word and spirit. Grant us faithfully to eat his body and drink his blood, as he bids us do in his own testament. Gather us together, we pray, from the ends of the earth to celebrate with all the faithful the marriage feast of the Lamb in his kingdom, which has no end. Graciously receive our prayers, deliver and preserve us. To you alone, O Father, be all glory, honor, and worship, with the Son and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. 
our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. The peace of the Lord be with you always. And also with you.
thanks to you, Almighty God, that you have refreshed us through this salutary gift. And we implore you that of your mercy you would strengthen us through the same in faith toward you and in fervent love toward one another. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Receive now the benediction of our Lord. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Amen.